0: Father, we come before you and we thank you for the miracle of modern medicine. Uh, Lord, you give us all of these drugs that assist in our healing. We know that you are the great healer, but Father, these help with the symptoms. And we also thank you that we have the knowledge uh, to take some of this information that you have given to us abroad and to assist those who are in desperate need of the most basics in medical care. And as we do these things, Lord, may the gospel go forth and may it take root and produce fruit. May people get saved as a result of this. May they turn to you for the forgiveness of their sins. And Father, as we are in the book of Exodus, we ask for your blessing as we continue to go through it. Just enlighten us. Enlighten us to your will and to your ways that we may be better disciples. In Jesus' name, amen book of exodus chapter 34 we know that god instituted a covenant by his grace and that was in verse 10 and after foreign gods they were instructed do not give chase and keeping god's commands they were to give haste and moses at the end of this chapter had a radiant face so all these things are in the book of exodus chapter 34 and picking it up in verse 10 then the lord said i am making a covenant with you before all the people I will do wonders never before done in any nation, in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare to you. Break down the altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles." Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So he had, right here, the establishing and reestablishing of the covenant with Israel. Israel was to be a witness of the awesome power of God. Obedience is called for on the part of the Israelites, and they were not to make a treaty with those in the land of Canaan, and they were to destroy their idols, and they were to shun idolatry. And for us, that idolatry, it works into the realm for us today of... Uh, lust and impurity according to Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. So after foreign gods is where we are, do not give chase. In verse 15, it reiterates here about making a treaty. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods they will lead your sons to do the same do not make cast idols so they didn't want them and we don't really do this today we're in the united states we make these idols we carve them up and we set them up there and they are everything to us a little child might have a lego set that that's his idol but we understand he 's not worshiping it it 's just dear to him right that that type of thing and at Christmas time we don 't worship our Christmas trees that we set up in our house and we adorn them with gold and silver and tinsel. You guys know what tinsel is that tinsel that 's on it <clears throat> you know we, we don 't do that we simply put it up as a reminder that it 's just a festive time of year in the evergreen it 's just a, a wonderful cultural thing that we are involved in, but when we dilute our devotion to god it leads to prostitution to other gods not necessarily physical ones they can be those of desire we have a desire to fulfill in this country all of us do some thing uh, i mentioned this last week this idea of sports i love sports you know not all sports i could do without watching bowling on television uh, but in golfing, you know, some people love golf. That's just not one of my things that, uh, I like to do. It takes a long time. I, I like more aggressive type sports. I like a good football game. Uh, if you're in a good basketball game or, you know, hockey game, sometimes the hockey is just like, it's fantastic. I've enjoyed myself tremendously going to hockey games before, but some people that is their life. That is what they do. They know every statistic, and that can be a God. For some families, their children are their gods. And you might say, well, wait a second. We're supposed to take care of our kids. We are. But you know, And it can be a downfall for women that they so idolize their children that they neglect their husband. Or they may so idolize their husband that they neglect their children. And same thing with a husband. He can so idolize his work that he forgets his family. He forgets his wife. He forgets his children. And there has to be a balance in all of that. We'll see as we get into the next chapter. First warning that God gives to the people is remember the Sabbath because he gives them this instruction on what they're supposed to do following in the rest of the chapter. But he says, your devotion to God is number one. Don't forget the Sabbath. And so we are to keep, number one, God. He's to be up there. When I was uh, first saved and Patty and I, we had met at uh, Calvary Chapel San Diego. I was an usher. She was a congregant. And I would, you know, usher her down and I met her and we would go to these Wednesday night concerts that they had there. And there was this one group, this troupe, it was back in the days of folk songs in Christendom. And this group was Mickey and Becky. Becky. And Mickey and Becky, she would play the guitar, and she was really good at the guitar, and he had a good voice, and he was tall and skinny, kind of looked like, uh, uh, what's that tall, thin guy in Scooby-Doo, what's his name with little, Shaggy, he looked like Shaggy is who he looked like, <clears throat> and he would do the singing, and they had this song, and the song, the words of the song came out to, I'm sorry, I love you, but you're only number two. And God is number one. It was kind of a folksy song and they would play it. And I remember getting their music book. Oh, this is so folksy. This is so nice. I could play this. And, and we have this idea that there are things that are important and things that cannot be compromised. But most often it's not God. It's everything else that we have. And we put that as our focus. Like when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do? Do you brush your teeth? Do you get your cup of coffee? It's one of those things. Do you just head off to work after taking a shower and changing your clothes? Or do you spend time with God? Do you get up to spend time with God and then the rest of your day takes place? And all of us can give an answer to that. That's a real life applicable answer. Is God number one? Do I put him first in the day? Do I get up earlier if necessary to be with him in order to complete my day? Or do I save him for the end of the day? Okay, I need to read a chapter, and as I'm going through that, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, you know, and then you just kind of fade off because you're so tired at the end of the day. God wants to be number one. He wants to be up front. He wants your devoted heart first thing in the morning. And if you have to get up a little earlier, that means you have to probably go to bed a little earlier. And, you know, for young families, you're going... But I gotta bathe the kids and feed them and put them down and clean up the house and wash the dishes. And the husband comes home and he lays on the chair and he falls asleep and he's snoring and his feet stink and he's got to take a shower before he comes to bed. And I mean, all of not that this has ever happened in our family, but this this idea that that's what needs to take place and it's all at the end of the day. Yeah, we have to get up early and God knows it's hard. I was just telling Patty this morning, life is hard. There used to be a song about that. Life is hard and it doesn't get easier. You know, so we need to just carve out the time and say, this is to God. We don't want to dilute our devotion to God because it does lead to prostitution with other gods or other things which become idols. Companionship with the world leads to the abandonment of the world or of the word. So if we become a companion to the things of the world, what the world loves to do, like what is tonight? The Oscars. Now, I gave up watching the Oscars years ago. I just, you know, it just disgusts me sometimes. And they get together and they do their thing. But in the world, especially in the world of film, that is the epitome. You go to these... uh, parties and they just they spend lavish amounts of money like for instance i'm going to tell you this one did you hear meryl streep wasn't going to wear a dress because chanel wouldn't pay for it i mean stuff that's what makes the news oh chanel's not going to pay for it so therefore i'm not going to wear it i'm going to wear something else and and this is what the world surrounds itself with this is what's important it's like are you kidding me you know give me a break i i Enjoy films, some films. Most of them, they're just, they're going the way of the world. And we have to be careful what we watch and what we put into our minds. It's just like garbage, some of it. Not all of it. Some of it is is—is pretty good. You know, it's informative, it's inspiring, all of these things. But we want to make sure that we're not following the ways of the world, that we don't look like the world. If you get People Magazine and Self and um, cosmopolitan and you men especially you know if you get those kinds of magazines and you're reading through them and you're getting up on that stuff like oh this is just wonderful it's like that's the way of the world that's what the world is doing and there's all kinds of gossip websites that are out there you know you can find out who, what's going on with who if angelina jolie just opened up about her life with brad and the breakup and you know everybody has their problems we understand but we put things up this idea of this perfect world things that the world would attract us to we just need to keep at arm's length yeah that's nice oh that's good well that's not so good we need to judge it for what it is keeping god number one so companionship with the world leads to abandonment of the world we will allow the time of these things of the world to just consume us Intolerance of the world sown leads to a witness blown. That means if we just allow the world to come in and we allow it to happen in our lives, invade our families, invade our time, it just takes away from our witness. Wouldn't it be great if when people get to know you, they go, oh, you're that Christian. Only because you don't cuss, you don't drink. You don't chew. You don't go with boys that do. You know these. <laughs> That's so old. That joke. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in there. But those types of things, and you know, some of that stuff, people have the freedom. They do. And but we don't want to look down on that. And I talked about that last week. But we want to make sure that we are not presenting an image to the world that we are part of the world. Uh, have you guys gone back and look at your yearbooks and then matched up yourself with the friends from your yearbooks and become their friends and seeing what they're into and and you know some of it's just like great they're just oh that's fantastic they're on the right road and others you're going no no what are you doing you know this is the wrong thing and they're being known for the wrong thing on facebook and again i talked about that last week we want to make sure that we're not tolerating the things of the world not that we're being in your face we don't want to do that ruin our witness but we just we simply say no this is wrong this is right and this is what we need to hold to and idolatry leads to apostasy and <clears throat> over the years that i've been a christian i've known several people that were on fire I mean, you'd get right next to them and you'd just get warmth just by being around them because they just loved the Lord. They were sold out. You know, they'd have their prayer times. They'd talk about the word. They'd they'd talk about what God was doing and not to a point of being obnoxious. Now, I get that too. Some Christians can be, I don't know, they can just be obnoxious, right? They're not even real. I remember being uh, in college and going to a library and this one young christian woman she came up and every other word was hallelujah and it was in the library you know i'm trying to study and how oh praise the lord hallelujah oh man it's just going to be i'm just going okay i I understand and i'm a christian at this time i understand she loves the lord but it's really kind of annoying and i watch the people around us we're all going what's her you know and it was just She wasn't using discernment. She wasn't being even keeled, so to speak. And we want to make sure we're going to be an offense to the world as it is, but we don't have to be an offense unnecessarily to those who are in the world. So idolatry leads to apostasy. These people that I have known, they have served the Lord, and then they just walk away. And, yeah, that was a time in my life. This one guy named Dean that uh, Patty and I, we knew before... uh, We got married, and he was just, man, nobody could stop him as far as being a witness and knowing the word and being at Bible study, and I found out years later he walked away. We had a worship leader, some of you know her, walked away from the Lord, you know, and I've known several people that have done that, and we're not finishing well if that's the case, and you know, there can be a debate, well, what about eternal security and all that? Eventually, we'll get into that then we want to to wrap this all up. We want to practice the presence of God. Constantly be in prayer when you're driving down the road, when you're doing your job, you're asking the Lord for uh, wisdom. Uh, To give you an example, a personal example of this, I sat down yesterday. I have so many things that I need to accomplish, and I just made a list. I went through, and I had like seven or eight things on there. I could have had 20, but I just limited it to seven or eight first ones that came to mind. And I go, Lord, which one do you want me to do? first and i just sat there and i asked them to guide me on that and so i got a direction in about two minutes i got a direction okay this is what i'm going to do and that's what occupied my time you prioritize what god wants you to do and i had god in mind the whole time and then as i'm doing my job god's dealing with me and stuff i'm going to tell you what i did i'm trimming my tree in my front yard it has to be trimmed it has been trimmed in two years and i'm up in there and god's dealing with me with stuff I already talked to Patty about it. And I go, no, this is just not right. And what about you, huh? And I go, all right, God, and i like, clipping away. And, oh, too much. And, you know, I, I, and I keep on focusing on God the whole day. And that's what we want to do. Do your work. Be consumed with it to do a good job so we can be a good witness. But always be in communication with God. That's how we're supposed to walk. And, again, I didn't originate this. I was taught this by others. This is how we're supposed to do it, and I'm hopefully passing it on to you. In keeping God's commands, make haste. There were three festivals, feasts, that Israel was to observe on an annual basis. They were the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. As they're listed here, they will be listed as Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Ingathering. Now, these feasts were to be sacred for the people in verse 18 it says celebrate the feast of unleavened bread for seven days eat bread made without yeast as i commanded you do this at the appointed time in the month of abib for in that month you came out of egypt verse 19 the first offspring of every womb belongs to me including all the firstborn males of your livestock whether from herd or flock Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb but if you do not redeem it break its neck Redeem all your firstborn son. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. And this just kind of seems random here, this firstborn thing. If, if you weren't with us as we were going through Exodus in the beginning when they were going out of Egypt, you can remember that the firstborn of Egypt God required. And those people who did not have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost on the side and the lintel, the, the top part of the door, the angel of death would come into the house and take the firstborn. And so all the Jews sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood on the opening of the house, the door of the heart, so to speak, if you want to do it metaphorically or spiritually for us. And they were all protected. They were protected from death. But those in Egypt did not do that. And there was not a household where the firstborn did not die. And so what did it cost in order for the israelites to get out of egypt it cost the firstborn of every family in egypt now is that a big price to pay that is huge that is almost unfathomable thousands upon thousands of people were sacrificed in order to get the israelites out of Egypt. And because it was that firstborn, God wants that act of redemption that it cost life in order to redeem the people to get them out of Egypt. He said, you're going to remember this back again in verse 19, the firstborn offspring of every womb belongs to me. Now, several times in scripture God says It belongs to me. This is mine. This is mine exclusively, so to speak. He says that in Exodus chapter 13, verse 1, he says, The firstborn of every womb among you belongs to me. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 11, it says, uh, The firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Uh, Several times, like I said, these are mine. The firstborn are mine. Numbers chapter 3, verse 11, all the firstborn are mine and he goes on to say later on in numbers chapter 3 verse 11 that the levites since they don't have an inheritance he goes they are mine and so god does this progression and he he wants us to understand this i know he wanted the israelites to understand this this idea of the firstborn so the firstborn was taken from every egyptian and it was a costly price that had to be paid to redeem the israelites Then the Levites, they were held apart as a special people because they were obedient when Moses said, those who were with the Lord, come up with me. And the Levites went through the camp and they killed all those who were involved in idolatry. 3,000 people were killed at that time by the sword and the Levites did it. And so God separated them apart to himself. And he says, they are mine. And he, he says specifically... The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether man or animal. They are to be mine. I am the Lord. So he gives the authority why he's saying they are mine. Just as a little side note in our house, when our grandchildren are over there, I'll ask them to do something. And you know how kids can be. Why do I have to do that? And I turn to them and I say, I'm Papa. That's it. I don't give any explanation. I just appeal to them that I am your Papa. That's all you need to know. Just do this. Now, I got that from this. Because God says, the firstborn are mine. Why? I am the Lord. That's what the Lord says. I am the Lord. What else do you need to know? Just do it. And so I, my grandchildren, I'm Papa. That's it. Just go take care of it, you know? And they get it, and it's kind of a joke, you know, we kind of laugh, but at the same time, now, you know, if I say now, they just, they do it. And so the Lord says, the firstborn of Egypt was the cost to redeem the Israelites, the Levites were special unto the Lord. They are now mine. They're exclusively mine, and I am the Lord, and this is the way it's going to be. He's making it emphatic, right? But do you know that we are also part of this firstborn? Now, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. So who does he belong to? God the Father. So if the Israelites came out with the price of the Egyptians all their firstborn they belong to God that's to be remembered and the fact that the firstborn and and the Israelites and, and uh, all of the Jews that firstborn belonged to God they were to give the firstborn to God all the firstborn male animals were to be sacrificed and if you didn't sacrifice them you're to break their neck right like the donkeys break the neck because they weren't to belong to you Anything that opened the womb, any male that opened the womb, that was it. It belonged to God. Then the Levites, they were dedicated to God. God said, they are mine. Then Jesus is the firstborn over all creation in Colossians. And so since that is the case, he belongs to God the Father. Now, what price had to be paid for us to be included in the family of God? The firstborn had to be given, which was Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to forget this. How costly was that? That's more than the cost of all the firstborn in Egypt, right? And he did it so that we might be the firstborn. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. God wants us to know how costly it is for us to enter heaven. He wants us to get a grasp of this. He wants us to put our mind around it. How much did it cost for us to be saved? You might say for a young man, how much did it cost for you to get your bride? How much did the ring cost? Well, it cost me $1,000. Is that very much? Women don't want to answer, right? What if you said it's $25,000? Oh, that was costly. Oh, that was a lot. But it still doesn't even compare. I mean, what's the most expensive thing that you have in your life that you would give up for maybe the life of your children or the life of your spouse? How much is that? Whatever you have, it's not even close. It's not even in the same ballpark as what God was determined to give up to get us. And if you can get a hold of that, if you can grasp that, if you can make that your own, then your motivation becomes complete. It's those people who don't realize what it costs for us to be saved, they will always be lacking in their faith and in their action. They will never fully become a disciple. This is so costly to get us saved. And matter of fact... It's going to continue. How many people are not going to make it to heaven? More are not going to make it than are going to make it. And God said, I don't like it, but that's the cost that it's going to take because I want a people for myself, even though most of humanity will not make it. Those people, they have the chance, but they refuse. But God said, it was worth it to get you. To get me, that most of humanity would not make it. Now, how much love is that that God has for those who are saved? It is beyond measure. We can't even fathom how deep and how wide, how huge the love of God is. Like I said, if you can grab hold of that, it will transform your life because you understand the grace of God. Then you start going, How is it that I got saved? How is it that you got saved? God determined it that you would, and so He gave us all the opportunity. So we need to get hold of that. So the first belo- firstborn belongs to God. This is a big deal. In verse twenty-one, it says, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Celebrate the feast of weeks, which is Pentecost, with the first fruits of your wheat harvest." And the Feast of End gathering, which is tabernacles, at the turn of the year. Three times a year all your men are to appear before the Sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory, and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Do not offer the blood of sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast, and do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover feast remain until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord, your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, all these seem to be a little bit random, like keeping the Sabbath and this idea of eating the whole Passover feast. He's just giving them little reminders. It'd it'd be like if you sent off your son or daughter to college and you put them in the car And you were giving them last-minute instruction. Now, remember, is your phone working? Do you have your backup battery for that? Okay, and you know exactly where you're going, and your Google Maps is working okay. And listen, I want you to call me in increments as you go on. I remember, before we had cell phones, before we had pagers, I, I knew this family. What they would do is, if they went over to Europe and they would travel over there, they used to make a phone call, a collect phone call, and on that collect phone call, uh, it would say, the operator would come on. Remember they had operators back then? The operator would come on and say, I have a collect call from Bill Bodker from Germany. Are you willing to accept the charges? And you would have to say yes or no. And so this family, what they would do, instead of talking to each other, that was their signal that everything was okay. And so the person would say, no, I refuse the charges. And then they would hang up. And so they wouldn't be charged for the long distance phone call all the way from europe or wherever they were located and so that's how we would have this communication going on this last minute instruction i'm just going to give you a little bit to let you know that this is what you're supposed to remember and so god's doing that he's given him these several things do not cook a goat in its mother's milk remember the sabbath day remember these three feasts okay we're gonna get going here we're going to get moving on so to speak so god provides this instruction and so it's these three feasts and it's Keeping these observances to the Lord in full obedience, we are to remember what God requires of us. Now, to remember things like I I made the list yesterday. You guys, I'm sure, at some point in time, you make a list. If you go to the store, you make a list of things that have to be done so you will not forget oh, this is what I need. Have you ever been somewhere and you forgot one thing and then you had to go back and you had to get that one thing and it's just like a hassle, right? And God says, I want you to remember what your responsibility is. Now, there is this active way of remembering where with forethought we go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. For us being Christians, it's getting up in the morning, it's spending time with God, it's being in the word, It's going over his plan, so to speak, his blueprint, his will, his desires, what his desires are for us, and and just keeping us in line. That's active. You are actively remembering what's going on. Then if you don't for a while, it's not that you don't have it in the forefront, it's in the background, and everything else floods into the front. And it's work, it's family, it's finances, it's taxes, it's whatever it might be, floods into the front. And it's not that you're purposely neglecting it. It's just, you got so much to do. You don't have enough time. And so it just kind of goes by the wayside. You don't have an active life in it. It's passive. For instance, somebody who comes to church every Sunday and is not involved in a Bible study is usually living a passive Christian life. And if you live a passive Christian life, you will always be passive in your Christian Christian walk. Now some people say, well, wait a second, I don't go to a Bible study and I'm very, I pray all the time. Remember I said several weeks ago, part of being an active Christian is experiencing fellowship. If a person neglects the fellowship they're missing one of the most important things. We all have the Holy Spirit within us. And we have this shared in common. And our God is a triune God. He has fellowship within the Trinity, right? But if we want to be Lone Ranger Christians, hey, oh, silver, away. And we we take off and we think, I'm good. You know, I'm fine. I go into town every once in a while, and then the rest of the time I'm fighting evil. You know, that's not the way it works. We are supposed to be together. We are supposed to be a group. Why didn't God send just one spy into the land? He sent 12 spies, right? There were all this Group of men that went there to perform different things. When Miriam that I mentioned last week had her song, when the horse and rider fell into the sea, it was several women who grabbed the tambourine. You know, it's not like a soloist up there. None of us are supposed to be soloist. We are supposed to be working as a group. We move as a mob, so to speak. That's the way God wants us to do it. We are the body of Christ. Now, in the global scheme of things, what part of the body of Christ are we? We're just one cell but that one cell has many functions that adds to the complete body of Christ. What if you take out one of those functions? If you just take out a little DNA from the DNA strand in the cell, what is that like? <laughs> it's not going to work very well, right? And so that's part of fellowship. If, if you want to just have a marginal Christian walk, live a marginal Christian life. Don't go to Bible study. Don't get up in the morning. And if you do that, and you will lull yourself into a state of, "I'm okay, you're okay," and Scripture teaches just the opposite: you're not okay, and I'm certainly not okay. And we need to encourage one another to love and good deeds, and to make sure that we are constantly being involved in this. You now, some people might object as Christians: well, that means I have to give up something. You know, our whole lives are supposed to be a sacrifice to God. Everything that we hold dear, we're just supposed to say, you know, it's just the world, and the world's passing away. What are we going to take with us? We're not even going to take our teeth, right? We're not going to take our hair. We're not going to take our body. We're taking nothing. Naked we came into this world, and naked we shall leave. Even the clothes that they bury us with, if we get buried... They're going to decompose too. We're not taking anything. And so we just need to have a light touch on the things of this world. And we are to remember that, keep that at the forefront, have the fervent walk with God. And is it difficult? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You ever get up on Sunday morning? I don't want to go to church. Your wife turns to you and says, get up. No, I don't want to go. The people there, they're just obnoxious. Get up. You know the Lord wants you to be at church. No, I don't want to. They're mean. And, you know, it's cold in that sanctuary. And, you know, the coffee, sometimes it isn't very good. I just don't want to go. And your wife turns to you and says, get up. You're the pastor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have these problems. Or you're serving in the Sunday school. You know, you've got to teach Sunday school. You've got to do all these things. and And you're part of the body of Christ. And it's tough. It's hard. It doesn't get easier. And so we want to make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do. We want to make sure that we're just sold out, that we're active, we're remembering with, with determination what God has in store for us and what his will is. An observant Christian is what we want to be that others might see and also an observant Christian that others might follow. That's the whole idea. We want our kids to follow us in the good things but not in the bad things, right? Well, in Christendom, in the church, when we're making every effort to follow Christ, we want to follow that person who does so. And when they make a mistake, what do we do? Beat them over the head with the Bible. No, that's not what we do. We give them grace, just like our children. You know, we bring them along. I know you're going to make mistakes. It's all right. Just come on along. We give grace to everybody. That's what changes everything. I mean, God's grace is just so big. God instituted a covenant by his grace. After foreign gods do not give chase, he told them. In keeping with God's commandments, make haste. And then Moses had a radiant face. Verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. He he was glowing. I mean, light was emanating through his pores and out to people. If you guys have ever seen... the Beauty and the Beast cartoon. At the end of the Beauty and the Beast cartoon, where the beast transforms into this young Frenchman, right? And his hand goes up and it flicks up his fingers like that and light comes out of his fingers and out of his toes and out of his body. That was Moses. He was just... You know, he'd walk around, just had this... Not that there was any sound. He just had this light emanating from him. They're going what is with you man nuclear radiation we'd say but no there's something was up with him and Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him but Moses called to them so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them afterwards all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai now I'm sure there are several purposes of this God wanted to convey that he was the one that was speaking through Moses, so God illuminated his body, and it would be a miracle for all the people to see. Just imagine when he went out of his tent at night. He didn't need a flashlight. I mean, just just lights up everywhere. He would lead the way. He would just be this glowing blob that would walk around wherever he went. and And it lingered. It lingered for a while. It didn't just go away. And of course, Scripture tells us this in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 14 beginning there, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. We are going to shine, we are going to radiate the grace of God with everybody who is around us. Now how will that take place in the millennium i'm I'm not quite sure i don't know what scripture has to say about that but we will be bright white light that type of thing will be coming from us we're going to shine like the stars in the heaven now some people would say well that's metaphorical i think it's literal not only will it be metaphorical but it's going to be literal as well just like angels you know you think the angels radiate the light of god absolutely they're dressed in white right that's who they are god is light and in him there is no shadow of turning if god lives in us light is going to emanate from us as well it's kind of cool of course we also know that in the new heaven and new earth there will be no sun why because god will be giving its light to the universe that we occupy how big is our universe i don't even have to answer that question it is so big, we don't even know how big it is, right? He's going to light up the whole thing. How big is it going to be? I have no idea. But it's going to be grandiose. It is going to be a wonderful place. So with this, the book begins and ends. In, in verse 10, it says, I'm making a covenant with you. And in verse 27, then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words for in accordance with these words. I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. He has bookends where he says, I'm making a covenant, I'm at the first, I'm at the last, I'm at the beginning, I'm at the end, and you in between, this is your task. And so that's how he spells it out to the Israelites. He keeps them right in between these bookends of the covenant, and he says, this is your job. Be obedient in it. Now, going on here in chapter 35, we have the Sabbath, the sacrifice, the service, the servants, and the skilled. I'm only going to get through maybe one or two of these. But Exodus chapter 35. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. Just imagine if we instituted that we wouldn't have a church left, right? Everybody misses church for some reason. So you didn't make it? Sorry. That's it. You're going to lose your head. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So it's kind of like being in darkness. Now, I've explained to you if you go to Israel now, I've mentioned this before for those of you who have been here a while, they have entire hotel rooms that are set up, and the elevators, they have a Sabbath elevator. They don't want you pushing buttons because that button lights up. You're lighting a light. Now, they could have buttons that don't light up, right? But you're causing power to be expended, which means you have to light a fire, so to speak, which you have to burn coal or you have to do something. So they take it to the nth degree. So when you walk up to an elevator, it opens automatically on the Sabbath. When you get into the elevator, it stops at every floor automatically and it opens up. You go to your door, and you open up your door. You walk into the house, and the lights turn on automatically. You don't have to flick the button because they don't want to light a fire, quote, in their house. Now, they're taking it way overboard. I don't think God ever intended that to be the case, that you can't flick on a light. That's a violation of God's command. Thou shalt not turn on your light. He never says anything like that, but they have taken it to that degree. And they don't cook anything. Everything has to be cold or already prepared. Or, you know, if you turn the crock pot on before the Sabbath, it's OK you can eat it afterwards, because you didn't light a fire Already, the fire was already burning, right? And they get so technical about stuff like that. they cover their mirrors, they put something over their mirrors, they don't look at the mirror, and they see something and it has to be fixed, and that's work. And, and I mean, it just just goes on and on and on. God just said, "Stop working on the Sabbath, all right? Don't be laboring. Just rest. Now, for us in the United States, how easy is it for us to rest? For those people who have a work ethic that has been instilled in us by our parents, it's very difficult. But for me, that's difficult. Just do nothing, right? If I'm going to do nothing, I'm going to sleep. I'm not just going to sit there and do nothing. I have to be doing something. And so, this is kind of hard for me to just sit and take rest now, i don't know how hard it is for you but god was telling the israelites don't work and he's given us this, this command because he's going to give him instruction on things to do and the things to do this is the sacrifice first moses said to the whole israelite community this is what the lord has commanded from what you have take an offering for the lord everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skin dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, the onk stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. So the people... supposed to sacrifice what they had their material goods and give to Moses for the sake of the temple now what this deals with is our idea of material sacrifice and each one of these things we want to read them in their context understand what it meant to them at the time then take it to our modern day put it in our context and based on what we know was meant to be back then transfer it to us today we don't have these like if you guys have a lot of gold and silver we want to line our columns with gold and silver so you're going to bring an offering for that we don't do that well some churches may do that well we don't do that right we don't ask for that type of thing so how do you transfer that today we're not going to make a tent anybody have any sea cow heights you know, that you could go ahead and bring here. and Maybe you have a tarp that's oil-stained. Maybe we could use that. And you have blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. We want all you ladies to get together and get on the spindle and spindle these things together so we can make new drapes. You know, after all, Cheryl made these by hand. She put out every single thread. She sheared the sheep, or she pulled the cotton, and she wove it, you know, that type of thing. That's what they did back then. We don't have that today. And so how do we transfer that To us, what are we supposed to be doing as far as this is concerned? Because this is God's word. This is the full counsel of God. These things like this, they don't go away. And there's a lesson for us to be learned. And so I'm going to talk about that lesson next week. So let's go ahead and pray. We're at our time. Father, we thank you that you are so good to us, that you have provided us this instruction and and how we're to be obedient. You've done it through the Israelites. You have shown us the commands that you have given to them. And Father, just help us to understand how they're to apply to us. We understand that we don't have these festivals that we have to observe anymore, being part of the ceremonial law. But we do understand there are principles to be had. Obedience and faithfulness and sacrifice. Help us, Lord, to make these a moniker, above ourselves personally and above the church here that is yours. And with your guidance and your strength and your wisdom it will be so. In Jesus' name we pray these things and the church said, Amen. Amen.